This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. The January 6th insurrection was a direct threat to American democracy, targeting Congress in the midst of ratifying the 2020 election results. For the officers who safeguard the Capitol, it was a bitter wake-up call about the country that they're actually serving. The joy has been taken away from me from doing the job. You know, sometimes I I sit in my car before I go into work and I'm just like, I'm not even going to do it or, you know, it's very depressing. Standing My Ground, a Capitol Police officer's fight for accountability and good trouble after January 6th. Coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. The violent insurrection of January 6th, 2021 was a shock to America's idea of itself as a stable democracy where the peaceful transfer of power could be taken for granted. After a rowdy protest outside of the Capitol, hundreds of supporters of Donald Trump stormed the building to stop Congress from affirming Joe Biden's election victory. We're trying to hold the effort back. We are trying to hold the effort back now. We need to hold the doors of the Capitol. I need public support. We lost the line. We lost the line. All OPD, pull back. All OPD, pull back up to the upper deck. All OPD, pull back to the upper deck. Five people died as a consequence of that terrorist attack, and more than 100 people were hurt. Many of the injuries were sustained by the Capitol Police, many of whom put their lives on the line to protect members of Congress that day and have been struggling with PTSD since then. Harry Dunn was one of those officers. He was among the officers who were awarded the Presidential Citizens Medal by President Biden in recognition for their service. Dunn has become an outspoken advocate for bringing the insurrectionists to justice. He has written about the experience in a new book, Standing My Ground, a Capitol Police officer's fight for accountability and good trouble after January 6th. Harry Dunn, very, very happy to welcome you to a word. Thanks for having me on, Jason. It's always good to uh, catch up with you, brother. I'm going to start with this because this is the part that I just think no matter how many times people have seen it, um, they just can't imagine it. They just they can't imagine it. What were you expecting when you went into work on the morning of January 6th? So we deal with protests all the time, people exercising their First Amendment right, no matter what the topic is. So we've been, you know, I've, I've, I think it'd be safe to estimate that I've dealt with over a thousand First Amendment protests uh, in my career over, over 15, 16 years. We have people that choose to get arrested, civil disobedience, you know, and I thought that's, that's what it would be, a couple of arrests and um, people protesting. And that would be the end of it. I'd never in my wildest dreams imagined that what happened that day was um was was about to unfold. When you're in this moment of fighting insurrectionists directly, you are fighting these terrorists directly. Talk about that. I mean, talk about doing hand to hand combat with people. Like, what was that like? How did that feel? You know, these are your fellow countrymen. And I think that's one of the most disheartening things about that day. Fighting your own countrymen for them attempting to overthrow democracy. It was crazy, man. Like I said, I I didn't know how that day was going to end. Yeah, it was scary. I didn't know if we were just going to be overrun and surrounded and, 
You know, we didn't know a backup was coming, but to my left, to my right was my coworkers, the men and women of the Capitol Police and the Metropolitan Police Department. And we made it all about each other that day and making sure each, each and every one of us got to go home to our families that night. The insurrectionists, they had sticks, they had weapons, they had knives. Did you feel people's hands on your body or were you avoiding it? Like, did somebody scratch your face? Did you feel their spit on your mask? Like, how close did some of this get to you at certain points? Well, fortunately, I, I was lucky. Most of that day, I, I had an, uh, an M4 rifle, a long gun with me, and I attempted to keep my distance from people. So the actual you know, physical hand-to-hand combat that I was involved with was very minimal. I also like to think that my stature may have had something to do with it. You know, I'm 6'7", 350, man, that's kind of an impose, with the host holding a rifle, it's kind of imposing. But no, I tried to keep my distance. The the pepper spray and the, the bear spray that I got was secondhand exposure. It was in the air, it was lingering, it was being blown in our direction. And it was still very tough to overcome, but the physical injuries and that I, I sustained were very minimal, and I'm fortunate for that. And also, like I said, I wanted to keep my distance because I had that rifle, and I didn't want anybody grabbing to grab hold of that rifle, which they did not. So, You wrote in your book about speaking to your daughter, and she still called while you were dealing with the aftermath of, of storming the Capitol. Like, what was it like hearing your daughter's voice and in the context of what was going on? You know, it was crazy. In that moment, I couldn't find my phone. And it was like a lull in the action. Uh, One of the areas that we were in was we we managed to get it cleared out. And at that moment, a bunch of our coworkers, we were just looking around at each other, kind of like in shock and disbelief that this was happening. There was a few of us gathered around. I looked at them. I said, hey, shoot a message to your loved ones. Call your family. uh, Text your mom, your, your daughter, your husband, your wife. Let them know you're all right. So at that moment, I was like, all right, let me do the same. So I'm patting my, my pockets and I forgot that I left my phone in another location before all hell broke loose. So I ran around to where that was and I picked up my phone and my daughter was FaceTiming me. Like literally as I picked my phone, I walked, got to my phone. So I you know, got myself together because I, you know, I had tears in my eyes and I didn't want her to think something's wrong or anything like that. So I wiped my face and everything, wiped the tears out of my eyes, oh, shake it off, get together. But little did I know, when I wiped my face, I wiped uh, pepper spray. I, I wiped the pepper spray in my eyes and it irritated even more. So in my mind, I'm screaming my head off, but trying to hold it together while I answer the call for my daughter. She's telling me about her day. She don't know what's going on. She ain't watching the news, you know. She's 10, 11, and um, she's not paying attention. She's telling about her day and everything. And I'm sure her mom had texted her or told her, hey, call your dad, check on your dad, blah, blah, Because she ain't going to call me out the blue unless somebody tell her to. But uh, I was like, yeah, baby, daddy's good, daddy's good. All right, uh, well, you had a good day? All right, well, I'll talk to you a little later. So I was like, tell your mom that daddy's okay. And then um, I hung up the phone and I just let out this scream because I – the pain was so unbearable, but even like in the in the middle of an insurrection, you got to make time for your little your little princess, you know. Did you ever think you weren't gonna make it home, or did you always sort of feel like this is bad, but like I'm gonna see another day? So the goal of that day for me was to make it home at the end of the night. Like above all, obviously, you know, we have a mission we have, but above all, you got to go home every night. Everything else can be sorted out once you figure it out. 
once we we I'm sure a lot of my coworkers have set that 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 goal in their head. I'm going home tonight. All the other stuff in the aftermath we could deal with later. But no, I didn't have that moment where I said, I don't think I'm going to make it out of here. A lot of a lot of coworkers did based on the things that they told me. I didn't know how it was going to end, but me not making it home didn't cross my mind. We're going to take a short break. We come back more with Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn on the January 6th insurrection. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This is Jason Johnson, host of A Word, Slate's podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners. If you've discovered a word and like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And let us know what you think by writing us at a word at slate.com. Thank you. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking with Capitol Hill police officer Harry Dunn about his new book, Standing My Ground, about the January 6th insurrection. You've become a leading voice in calling for the insurrectionists, from the foot soldiers to the leaders, to be brought to justice. We have a clip of you testifying before a congressional committee about what you faced that day. We'll play this. I'll get your thoughts on the other side. Until then, I had never seen anyone physically assault Capitol Police or MPD, let alone witness mass assaults being perpetrated on law enforcement officers. I witnessed the rioters using all kinds of weapons against officers, including flagpoles, metal bike racks that they had torn apart, and various kinds of projectiles. Officers were being bloodied in the fighting. Many were screaming, and many were blinded and coughing from chemical irritants being sprayed in their faces. I gave decontamination aid to as many officers as I could, flushing their eyes with water to dilute the chemical irritants. Soon thereafter, I heard, attention all units, the Capitol has been breached, and that rioters were in various places inside the building. This kind of criminal behavior and the aftermath, you know, it it takes toll on your mental health. Talk a little bit about what the mental health impact of that day has been for you. What are some of the things that you specifically have gone through emotionally and mentally after this? That was such a dark day in American history. And I used to love being a police officer. I like love the idea of, you know, the public service. I still do. I still like the public service thing. But the joy has been taken away from me from doing the job. You know, sometimes I, I sit in my car before I go into work and I'm just like, I'm not even going to do it. Or, you know, it's, it's very depressing. You know, I love this country, man. You know, I love this country. And Seeing the worst of it made me realize that the country that I love is full of people who believe that what happened on January 6th was okay. And it's so depressing. And this is outside of just the the physical trauma and what I saw, like the PTSD, 
But the depression that I feel for this country, my heart hurts for it. I mean, it aches. It's so sad that this is the, the world that we live in. So that's one aspect of the mental health, just the sadness that I feel for this country. But the other part of it, obviously, the, the physical part of what we went through, just seeing these these large crowds and these protest groups, or seeing people that have on like uh, American flag shirts or, you know, that they use the word patriot. It triggers the hell out of me, man. And, you know, seeing you get around a large crowd and I could be surrounded by friends at, you know, a, a DJ party or something. And, you know, these large groups of people and I get a little, uh, it's a physical reaction that I, that I have. And, I, you know, I start sweating or I, or hell, when I went to uh, Donald Trump's arraignment um, a couple months back at DC courthouse, I didn't even notice, but looking down at my watch, my heart rate was like through the roof. And I've always been aware of my surroundings and paid attention to that stuff. But the hypervigilance that I have now, it's, I hate living like that, you know, but here we are. And um, that's why therapy, I think, has been so helpful to me because while these um, reactions and these feelings that I have are here now, I at least possessing tools which has been, that's the, ther- the helpful part of therapy. I have tools to help me deal with it when these uh, reactions happen. One of the things sort of on any mental health journey is, of course, you know, you do your internal work, you try and check on your environment. It's like, hey, you know, if this relative triggers me, I don't hang out with them at Thanksgiving, right? If being in these concert spaces reminds me of the mass shooting, I don't go. But you're in kind of a different situation because as terrible as the January 6th attacks were, you wrote about the fact that you have some fellow officers who sympathize with and were empathetic to these maniacs and terrorists who are attacking the country. What's it like to go to work with people like that every day still? It's frustrating. That's why it's important for my voice and the people, other officers' voices to be heard that day to come out against that. Like, no, what happened that day was wrong. Working with the people that I work with, majority of them have the belief that regardless of party, regardless of affiliation, that the service, the oath that you took to office, the oath to the Constitution to protect American democracy, that is front and center with the majority of the people that I work with. But there also, you got to realize that there is a population of people in the country, in the world, in police forces that will sympathize with that. And how do you root that out? I don't know. But we do have to acknowledge that it exists, though. It's one thing to work with people you don't agree with, but your job as a Capitol Police officer requires you to protect people. And in your congressional testimony, you singled out former Speaker Kevin McCarthy and saying, hey, you know, this guy spoke out forcefully against the rioters. But of course, now he's backtracked. Right. And you have uh, tons of Republicans that have backtracked on what they said about January 6th, try to affect Capitol officers pay. What's it like walking through the hallways and, and protecting some of these men and women who you saw scared to death, you know, running through your hallway, didn't have a place to stay, and then have them betray you that way. What's it like going to work to protect the people who don't want to protect you? Great. I'm glad you brought that up. So there's, there's two folds when it comes to that. So my book isn't for those members of Congress. It isn't for 
the MAGA people. It isn't for that. My book, I believe it's for the people that don't know what happened, that want to understand what happened. And to be able to continue to do my job, I have to shape my perspective about why am I doing this job? Why is it so important me doing this job? And regardless of the individual that holds that seat, that holds that office, that seat is going to exist after that person no longer exists. It existed before they even existed. So the preservation is of the seat, not necessarily of the person. Yeah, it's a person attached to it, obviously. But you have to look at the bigger picture. Who holds those people accountable? How do those people get the seat? The people hold them accountable. And educated voters make the best voters. So yeah, those people are here to represent individuals. But we, the people, are the people who hold them accountable. And we need to make sure that we know what really happened so we can hold them accountable based on their actions or inactions in that place. So yeah, it's difficult just as a human being, Harry Dunn, but doing my job, I don't think it's become more difficult. I think it's become more important. We can all speculate what would have happened if January 6th would have went the way it didn't go. I, I don't know, but it's not hard to imagine the country would look a lot different today. So it's even more important now to um to be a stand-up voice and protector of democracy by doing the job that I do. I want to ask you something, and this is, I think this is a cliche, but this is a real barbershop conversation. You and I both shave our heads. So this is, this is a real barbershop conversation. Uh, and in my local barbershop in Maryland, when we talked about this, the brothers in there were all saying, you know, if that crowd was mostly black folk, they'd have just opened fire, right? They wouldn't have gotten into the building. How do you respond to people who say, Y'all use kid gloves on the insurrectionists and you would have been more aggressive. How do you respond to people who who believe that the Capitol Hill police officers didn't do their best because the people who were attacking were mostly white? That wouldn't be black people. We wouldn't do that. We wouldn't we wouldn't do that. Now, Black Lives Matter, the group did come to the Capitol. So we don't have to. um speculate what would happen if they did come to the Capitol. They did come to the Capitol after the George Floyd um, murder. And I can't speak for what happened at Lafayette Park or at, happened at the White House or happened in Portland or Minnesota, but they did come to the Capitol. And what happened there was they cussed at us, they called us a couple names, and they stayed behind the back racks. They did not attack us, and they exercised their First Amendment right, and everybody went home that night. That's what happened. I don't like to speak in absolutes unless I can certainly say that this is what, but Black Lives Matter did come to the Capitol and they did not breach it. So that's a tough hypothetical to ration out. But I do think what happened on January 6th and the response speaks to the professionalism um, and to the caliber of officers that the men and women of the Capitol Police and Metropolitan Police have. They did their job and the mission is to protect members of Congress and their staff and not one member of Congress was harmed and not no staffer was harmed. So the mission, as ugly as it was, was successful at the end of the night. We're going to take a short break. We come back more about the January 6th insurrection and its aftermath with Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking with Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn about the January 6th insurrection and his new book about it, Standing My Ground. You know, you've written about seeing your job as part of like a legacy of public service, but 
as a black person, you also had these interesting things about, you know, what it's like for black folks to to be police officers, right? You know, it's a stable government job. It makes sense. But you were subjected to a tremendous amount of not just hostility for being a Capitol Police officer, but hostility about being a black man. Has that changed any of your sort of attitudes or beliefs about race in this country, about our potential future in this country? I mean, you were singled out in some very specific ways, and I can only imagine what your email accounts look like and other ways you've had to sort of protect yourself. No, it's just a reminder that it exists. Despite all the leaps and bounds that we made, we still have to realize that there's a small population of individuals um, that don't believe that we are all created equal. So no, it was just a reminder to not get naive and think that we've, um, we're past that or it's racism is eradicated. Now I will say that on January 6th, I don't, I don't believe that that was a racist event. I, I don't, I don't think it was about race. And I'll tell you why, because my white coworkers got their ass whooped the same way my black coworkers did. So I think that's just the most simple way to put it. However, there were racists there and they exist. So let's, that's just is what it is. But I don't think that January 6th was about race. You know what? Michael Fanone almost got his ass killed um, as a, as a white guy. Danny Hodges smashed in the door and had his eyes gouged out. Sergeant Gunnell said it's almost shoulder, almost dislocated and his foot broken. And, you know, it, all different walks of races uh, protected that building, not just black people, but everybody had a different story to tell that day. And I'm sure that a lot of the people of color's story were slightly different than um, those of our white counterparts. But the, our, the white guys and gals got their ass whooped just as much as the people of color did too. What is your future? You went to JMU, you got a degree, you have options. What do you think your future is? Do you think your future is to continue as a capital officer? Do you think your future is somewhere else? You know, I do have a, a calling, I believe, to public service because of my refusal to not shut up and speak out against what's right and what's wrong on behalf of people. So I do, a, I have a calling for that. We'll see where this, this book takes me. I, you know, I will do speaking events and who, who knows what, what the future holds for me. But I, one thing I do realize that I have noticed out of all of this, that I don't think that any moment is too big for me to meet. Whatever I do, whatever I, it'll be, it'll be a calling to do it. I do believe it will include public service in whatever capacity that looks like, whether that's an advocate, I'll always be that advocate and a voice for people. One of the things that I always want to ask people going forward is sort of how we take what we learn from these conversations and apply it to our lives. So what I want to ask you directly is this, a lot of us and a lot of people listening to this show We've seen things happen in Congress. We hear the speeches. They watch me on MSNBC. They see CNN. They see Fox. They see what's happening in the world. But you have a unique perspective on the dangers we face because you were there, right? Things that people think are theoretical. It's like, oh my gosh, they're going to come do this. You lived it. So having lived in that moment, the actual physical moment of there is a physical threat and danger to this country, if you had everybody's ear, Everybody in this audience, what would you say is the number one thing we need to do in this country right now to stop that movement, let alone to keep something like January 6th from ever happening again? 
care, care, this disengagement that we have. People don't care until it affects them. And a lot of times when it affects them, it's too late. It's talking about that day. I came up with this analogy of how I view January 6th and how we quelled the insurrectionists to how we take our country back, I guess. I don't know. So <clears throat> on January 6th, we're fighting with these guys and the Capitol Police was overrun. MPD showed up. Then eventually Capitol Police and MPD got overrun. And we're in the building and we're retreating and doing the best we can to, you know, dispel the insurrectionists from the building. But we're outnumbered, uh, I think some cases in 56 to 1. I believe uh, our former chief son wrote a book outnumbered 56 to 1, each officer. How did we clear the building? How did we end up winning if we're outnumbered that way? I want to tribute. I won't give Donald Trump any credit when he said he tweeted the guys and told him to go home. No, I won't give him credit for that. What I will give credit for is we got help. People showed up. The, the National Guard showed up. Virginia State Police showed up. New Jersey State Troopers showed up. PG County, Montgomery County, Anne Arundel County. They showed up and we got help and the good guys won. So that's how I equate to winning against that ideology. Let's say we're playing a game of tug of war and you got people who believe in democracy on one side of the rope and we're being pulled toward the pit. And then you got the, the MAGA people, the insurrectionists on the other side of the rope and they're kicking our ass. But we need people to come and join us. We're holding on for dear life so we don't get pulled in this pit. We just need more people to join on the back of that rope and start pulling. And you know what? The more people get on that on the side of the good guys, we're going to pull the bad guys in that hole. And we just need people to show up. We just need a little bit more help. We all have some part we can do, whether that's voting, whether that's registering a friend to vote, learning about a candidate, something. It's nothing extreme. Just care. And we just need more people to do it. Harry Dunn is the author of the new book, Standing My Ground, a Capitol Police officer's fight for accountability and good trouble after January 6th. Officer Dunn, you're a real one. Thanks for joining me on A Word. Jason, thanks, brother. You too, man. And that's A Word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Christy Taiwo Macanjula. Ben Richmond is Slate's Senior Director of Podcast Operations. Alicia Montgomery is the Vice President of Slate Audio. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for Word.